Tuesday afternoon as I was writing this sermon, I typed into the search box on Google, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Now, maybe that's not a good thing to type into a Google search, but I was looking for those optical illusions, like, the, like where you see one thing in them, and then the longer you look at it, the more you see something else. Like this old drawing right here of the old lady and the young lady. All of us have seen this illusion at some point in some PowerPoint presentation about perspective. But I wanted one you hadn't seen before. And so the picture that I ran across was an Instagram post from 2016 from a young lady named Hunter. And there was a Time Magazine article attached to it that said the internet is divided over this photo of shiny legs. So I clicked the link and I could not figure out what the controversy was. I, I looked at the picture for a while going, what's the big deal? It's just a picture of shiny legs. I can't figure out what people are divided over concerning this. And I, I'll show it to you right here. Take a look. What do you see? Yeah, it's, it's just shiny legs. That's it. I mean, there's obviously some type of gloss on the, her legs. It's baby oil or suntan lotion or, or something. Well, that's exactly what I saw at first. In fact, that's all I could see until I read the post accompanying the picture. And in the post, she explains that her legs are completely dry. All it is is paint. Look at it again. It's just white paint. She'd been painting something and then drew some white paint streaks down her leg and took a picture and unintentionally created this optical illusion. Now, here's what was different about this illusion with me. In the old lady, young lady drawings, I can see both images. I understand how when some people look at it, they see the old lady, and then other people look at it, they see the young lady. And then once you see both images, you can actually see both of them. But here's the thing with this optical illusion. Once I saw the paint, that's all I could see. I, I could no longer see glossy or shiny legs. Once I saw the paint, that was, I couldn't unsee it. It was all I could see. That understanding completely changed my perspective of that picture. Now, this may be a weird analogy, but I feel the same way about something Jesus said in John chapter 15. In this series, we've talked a lot about the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples because he instituted two new things during that Last Supper. He talked about uh, the new covenant in Luke twenty two twenty, and he talked about the new command in John thirteen thirty four. Well, this passage in John 15 takes place a little bit after both of those, and it's directly connected to both of those. And it's a passage that I read for years but somehow never saw it for what it actually was. It's like I could only see the glossy, shiny parts of the passage. But when I finally saw what it actually was, when I finally saw what was actually there, I couldn't unsee it. And it has become a revolutionary thought for me that has changed the way I see faith and, and the lens through which I view things. And I'm still trying to wrap my mind around two things in regard to it. One, how did I miss it for so long? And two, how do I now make it primary? Because that seems to be exactly what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples. Let's read it. John chapter 15, uh, verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, 
so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Pretty straightforward. If you were to ask me, how does one remain in God's love? Well, the answer is right here in verse 9. Keep His commands. The way you stay in good standing with God, the way you remain in His love, is you keep His commands. And what are His commands? Well, they're right here. You keep them, all of them. If you keep all the commands in this book, then you remain in God's love. I mean, there's 613 in the Old Testament, at least another couple hundred in the New Testament. You obey those, and you remain in God's love. Now, remaining in God's love was pretty important to me because I grew up in a tradition where that was not a sure thing. You were always in this precarious position with God about whether or not you were truly remaining in His love, whether God truly still loved you and saved you. I mean, we believed we were saved, but we also believed that just because you were saved, that was no guarantee against damnation. I mean, you could lose it at any time. You could, I mean, you got to be careful. You got to obey all these commands because you got to stay on His good side. And if you miss one of them, or if you misinterpret one of them, or if you somehow commit one of them and don't get to confess it before you die, well, you're in trouble. You've got to be real careful to stay on God's good side because God is keeping score and there's a good chance you're in the red. So we, we ask questions in our Bible studies like this. Is blank a sin? You know, whatever it was, you just pulled out all these different topics. Is, is that a sin? And we'd go to our concordances and try to look that word up and see whether or not that was a sin in the Bible. Because sin and voidance was pretty important to us. Because again, we're trying to stay on God's good side. And you never knew if you were on the good or bad side. So we didn't want to miss one of these things. We didn't want to make any missteps. We wanted to remain in His love. And our ability to do that was clearly based upon our ability to obey all the commands. Or we ask questions like... Um, is it okay for a Christian to, you know, fill in the blank? Or what's, is there anything wrong with fill in the blank? Or what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? We were just trying to be safe. We wanted to make sure we were doing everything we were supposed to do and everything, make sure we're not doing everything we're not supposed to do. So we'd get the concordance out and search the Bible like a law book or a reference book or a code book looking for the exact command so we could know that we're doing exactly what it is God has called us to do. And to be honest, it was a really confusing endeavor because there's a lot of commands and some of it's kind of complicated to understand because of the time, you know, that's written thousands of years ago. And so it's kind of confusing to understand exactly what they mean there. And there's people that interpret them differently. And then we're always wondering, well, does, does it apply to them or did it apply to us or does it all apply to us? Because after all, it's all in the Bible. The Bible says when somebody prefaced a command with the Bible says, and they could quote book, chapter, verse. Well, once you say that, that settles it. Because if the Bible says it, then we better obey it. Now, here was my white paint moment with John 15. The moment when I saw this passage for what it's actually saying rather than what I thought it's saying. 
Jesus does say in verse 9, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. He absolutely says that. He didn't say, and here's the list. He didn't say, there's 613 of them in the old covenant. Keep those and you'll remain in my love. He didn't say, there's, you know, I don't know, two, three hundred of them in the New Testament. Keep those and you'll remain in my love. He didn't say, keep everything in the Bible. You do all of this right here and you'll remain in my love. What he said was, there's one that summarizes all the rest of them. I mean, I, Jesus narrowed down the commands to one command. Look at it, verse 12. Look at it. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's the command in John 13, 34, he called the new command. That's the command that Jesus is asking us to follow. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I've called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father. I have made known to you. And then look at verse 17. And this is my command. Love each other. I always read, keep the commands as this impossible task because there were so many commands and they were so confusing. But Jesus in this passage narrows it down to one command, just one command, love other people. It's that simple. And please don't confuse simplicity with shallowness. When we hear a teaching like this, uh, it bothers us. Like when we hear, like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not sure Jesus was saying, you know, narrow this down to one command because something just doesn't sound right about trying to summarize the entire Bible into just one command. Can we really induce, reduce the entire Bible down to just one command? I mean, surely not. I mean, it sounds like we're dismissing, you know, the authority of God's Word or we're diminishing His commands or, you know, we're going down this slippery slope. I mean, brother, you start preaching love, you know where that's going to lead. I mean, it just... Something doesn't sound right to us. And I think part of the reason it doesn't sound right is because we still take this mix and match approach that confuses the old and the new covenants. And we think every command in the Bible carries equal authority for us. And every book, regardless of whether it's part of the old covenant or the new covenant, is equally binding and applicable for our lives. I mean, can we really reduce the whole thing down to one command? Come on, man, surely we can't do that. Who said that? Well, for starters, Jesus. And the greatest command, he talked about two commands, love for God and love for people, but he tied love for people directly to the command to love God. He said the second is like the first. And then in Matthew twenty-two forty, he said, all the law and the prophets, in other words, the whole known Bible at the time, hangs on these two commands. In Mark chapter 12, verse 31, he said, There is no commandment greater than these. In John 15, he says, The new command is to love each other as I have loved you. And he's getting ready to show them exactly what that looks like. Well, and then the Apostle Paul picks up the narrative 
in the book of Galatians. A couple of weeks ago, we looked about uh, where Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And when you hear that, you're like, boy, that sounds a little extreme, Paul. You're saying that's the only thing that counts? And that's exactly what he said. And you remember the context of what's going on. Paul had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And then some Jewish Christians had come and said, oh, no, 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 no. You think you're a Christian, but you're not following the whole law. You're not obeying the law of Moses. And the law of Moses demands that you be circumcised. So if you want to be a true Christian, you need to be circumcised. And you need to be circumcised because the Bible says to. Book, chapter, and verse right here. And Paul says, no. No, no. He he accuses them of perverting the gospel. He accuses them of trying to throw uh, the Gentiles and the Galatians into confusion. Uh, He says in chapter 5, verse 13, look at this. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There it is again, the love thing. It's almost like Jesus said that's the most important thing. And Paul just keeps hammering. He says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later in uh, Romans, it's not later in your Bibles. It comes before Galatians, but he wrote it later. But in Romans chapter 13, listen to how he put it, beginning in verse Eight, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is not given as an addition to the law. It is the fulfillment of the law. Love for our neighbors is the summary. It is the basis of our obedience. It is the basis of our morality. It is how we express our faith. It is how we show our love to God. It is how we remain in God's love because that is who God is and that is what God has done for us. Now, we could read other passages. We could go to James, and he says the command to love your neighbor, he describes it as the royal command. We could go to John, who says God is love, and that if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We could read Peter, who says above all else, whatever you do, above all else, love each other deeply. Or we could read all the other one another passages in the New Testament. You know, love one another forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, um, submit to one another, bear with one another, carry one another's burdens. The New Testament's full of teaching and instruction like that. On what basis are we supposed to do that? In the same way Christ did it for us. We love in the way Christ loved us. We forgive in the way Christ forgave us. We, We care in the way Christ cared for us. Our love for others is not based on a book. Our love for others is based on a person. Jesus became the perfect demonstration of love, and we're called to love others in the same way that he loved us. So maybe it's time for a new question. Instead of asking, 
Well, now, now, is it a sin to, you know, fill in the blank, or is it wrong to fill in the blank? Or now, now, what does the Bible say exactly about fill in the blank? Instead of asking all of those questions, maybe we need to ask a much simpler but more demanding question. In light of Jesus, what does love require of me? If I am loving people in the way Jesus loved me, then what does that look like? What does that look like in my marriage? What does that look like with my kids, with my parents, with my siblings, with my friends, with my coworkers, with the, the people I go to church with, with strangers, with my enemies? What, what does it look like with everybody? If I, what does love require of me? What does it look like in the workplace? What does it look like in school? What does it look like on the ball field? What does it look like on social media? What does love require of me? Rather than digging in our concordances and trying to find what everything Genesis through Revelation says about this topic or that topic, let's study the teachings of Jesus. And let's, let's observe his life. And let's study the teachings of his earliest disciples that got to witness the love that Jesus portrayed for them. And let's ask the question, how did Jesus love people? Because his love is the basis for our love. He asked us to love others in the way that he loved us. So how do we do that? How can we love others in the way that Christ loved us? And can you imagine... If we were able to do that, can you imagine how irresistible the church would become if we reclaimed this ethic? Let me pray for you. We'll continue this. Our last message in the series is actually next Sunday. It's called A New Approach. And I invite you to, to join us again online for that message. But um, I want to pray for you about this because this love thing is a it's a simple question but it's a very demanding question it's a freeing question but it's a very challenging question so I want to go to God in prayer as we we wrap up this message and then after I'm done we'll give you just a little time to to say goodbye to everybody and um, just pray with me father when we ask the question what does love require of me for our answer, we have to go to your son, Jesus, who was the perfect demonstration of love, not only through his sacrificial death, but also in the way that he treated people, the way he forgave people, the way he cared for people, the way he interacted with people. May we seek to have that same love uh, in our lives, in, on whatever level we're interacting with people, whether it is through our churches, or whether it's through our families, or whether it's through our places of work, or where we spend our free time. May we be the people who are known for loving others. May the church be known for its love and its acceptance and its forgiveness. May we be the people that are known for you. And so, Father, this is a, this is a very, very hard thing to do, and we fail at it all the time. Our, our sinful nature gets the best of us, our selfishness, our pride, our ego, all of it gets in the way. Father, help us to make less room for that in our hearts and more room for you and your Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Spirit convicts us to be 
more loving and convicts us to love our neighbors in the way that we love ourselves, to love one another in the way that you loved us, to treat one another in the way that we want to be treated. Help us reclaim that ethic for today's church so that we can once again be just as irresistible as the church we read about in the book of Acts. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things.